It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. It's show night. I'm Jack Ward, and I'm in tucks and tails, and Penny is in her finest collar, as we're back with Mutual Presents and our Sunday Showcase submission from the Mutual Broadcasting System. We're waiting in our seats as Mutual Radio Theatre begins another grand double feature. This week, it's Armando Paz, El Encanto, and The Horse Thieves. And the curtain is rising, so wind back those clocks and let's get on with the show. This is Lauren Green. Our story takes place in Wyoming, around the turn of the century. It's a true story, part of the real Old West. It all starts on a cold autumn night in the heart of cattle country. It's a little after midnight. A raw wind howls through a remote upland valley, buffeting a ranch nestled there. In a large corral... The ranch's cow ponies are restlessly milling around. Their ears are pricked for danger, as if a coyote or a wolf were nearby. Then the cause of the horse's fear becomes apparent. Out of a gully come two dark figures on horseback. They approach the corral. Without dismounting, the first rider drops the top rail of the gate. Leaning out of the saddle, he dislodges the next rail and guides his horse over it into the corral. While the second rider waits a ways off, the first quietly circles the cow ponies, moving them toward the gate. Confused, the ponies balk at the gate. The rider whirls his lariat in the air. The rangy saw leaps over the down rails and gallops off. The others follow. As the horses thunder up the gully, the sound of their hooves are swallowed by the wind. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, The Horse Thieves by Anne Heath. Our stars, Joan McCall and Alan Young. The daring midnight raid is to affect the lives of many people, but none will be touched by it in quite the same way as one young woman. That woman is Eleanor Stewart, who has recently traded city life in Denver for the hard existence of a homesteader near Burnt Fork, Wyoming. She's married a burly Scott sheep rancher named Clyde. During the past months, her feelings for him have grown, and so has her love for the rugged life they share. One day... But we're going to let Eleanor tell the story. One day, late in the fall, Mrs. Kincaid had come over to visit. She owns a neighboring cattle ranch. She's a stout old widow with the merriest brown eyes. It's worth a severe bumping just to welcome her. Like my Clyde, she has a kind heart, though she's as bluff in manner as he is. 
I suppose that's why they get on so well. We had just finished supper. Clyde and Mrs. Kincaid began their inevitable game of cribbage while I sat by the fire reading. Clyde was telling us of a raid on a ranch about 75 miles away. They got away with thirsty heed of good horses. It was a god-awful thing they did. But it took more than a wee bit of courage. Well, I'm not one to admire thieves, especially horse thieves. How many of them varmints did you say there was? Only two. But one, that Murdoch man, is an outlaw. Desperate, they say. Murdoch. I've heard that name before. Didn't he rob a bank a few years back? Uh, it was about uh, eight years ago, over in Laramie. I thought he was locked up. Yeah, out on parole. Parole? They let that hoodlum go free? In a fast yourself, woman. I didn't make the laws. The sheriff has a great posse out looking for them. A brawl manhunted us. If the sheriff and his men catch up to those outlaws, there'll be bloodshed, won't there? Oh, there's an awfully small chance the sheriff would overtake those two. Well, there's nothing for us to worry about anyway. Trouble being a way off in the next county. Let's be thankful for that, then. Here, it's your count, woman. Mm. I feel sorry for those poor men. It must be terrible having a price on your head. <laughs> That's my lass. The softest heart in all burnt for No, stop your teasing, Mr. Stewart. You're no better, and you know it. What other rancher has to have a name for every one of his sheep? I didn't know anyone did that. <laughs> if Mr. Stewart had children, he'd as soon leave them unnamed as let a beastie go without a name. Well, that's the way it is back home. And what names they are, Mrs. Kincaid. I'm not sure I could tell you which is Bloody Mary or Oliver Cromwell or, or, or for that matter, which is which is any of them. Oh, as long as the beasties know, that's all that matters. Oh, ranch life does seem tame now compared to the early days on the range. Look at these pictures in the Gazette. Have you ever seen such wild scenes of roping and branding? What a pity those times don't exist anymore. Well, that just shows how little you know, my girl. What do you mean? Why don't you come home with me tomorrow and see for yourself? Well, I don't know. I have a lot of work to do. Well, the work will wait. You've not been off the place all summer. A wee trip would do you good. What about you? Lots I can manage well enough without you. I wasn't always married, you know. Just you remember you are now, Mr. Stewart. Mm, that's one thing I'll no forget last. <laughs> don't worry. Here, you lassies best go to bed. You have a long, dour trip tomorrow. We haven't finished our game, Clyde. You've won the last two. I can't stand to be beat on him here by a woman. You mean you can't stand to be beat by anyone? Oh, enough of your bloody, you daft. I'm away to play my pipes. Good night, dear. Good heavens, what is that he's playing? It's a special favorite of his. He plays that tune every night. He's never told me the name of it. Not sure I'd want to know the name of it. A little trip seemed the best thing I could think of. But long ago, I learned the quickest way to get what I wanted was not to want it, outwardly at least. The result was that the next morning, Clyde was eager to get me started. When I woke up, he was already greasing the wagon. Mrs. Kincaid had ridden over, so her saddle was laid in the wagon. And her pony, Bismarck, was hitched in with Chubb, the laziest horse in all Wyoming. Now, Chubb, you take good care of my wee lass. Off with you now, and Godspeed. Goodbye, Mr. Stewart. Goodbye, you scoundrel. 
Don't forget you owe me a game of cribbage. A Scotchman never forgets a dead woman. And I'll beat you good and proper next time. <laughs> that day was especially beautiful. To the south at our backs were gleaming snow peaks and heavy forests. West, north, and east were long, broken lines of the distant mountains with their blue haze. For a distance, our way lay up Henry's Fork Valley. Prosperous little ranches dotted the view, ripening grain rustling in the warm morning sunshine. The quaking aspens were just beginning to turn yellow. Everywhere, purple asters were a blaze of glory. Over it all, the sky was so deeply blue with the little airy clouds drifting lazily along. The road soon wound round the base of Cedar Hills. Some magpies were holding a noisy caucus in the trees. A pair of bluebirds twittered excitedly on a fence, and high overhead a great black eagle soared. All was so peaceful that horse thieves and desperate men seemed too remote to think about. But that was to change soon enough. With Mrs. Kincaid as her guide, Eleanor has set out on a journey through a vanishing land. Still new to the West's open spaces, she takes in the ever-changing scenery, the scents and sounds of a Wyoming autumn. She can't know what lies ahead. It's not something a novice homesteader from Denver could easily imagine. After traveling for some time, we crossed a creek and the butte. I saw that we were not heading toward Mrs. Kincaid's ranch. We're going to the mouth of Dry Creek, where it goes into Black Fork. That's where my punchers are holding 500 steers. We'll visit their camp, and you'll come back wiser than before, my girl. Well, we both came away wiser. I had thought we were going directly to the ranch, so I put up no lunch, and there was nothing for the horses either. But it was too beautiful a time to worry about such things. Anyway, we expected to reach camp just afternoon, so a little wait for food didn't seem so bad. By noon, we had entered the desert. The warm red sand fell away from the wheels with a soft, hissing sound. Along the trail, someone had placed a buffalo skull beside a big bunch of sage. On the sage was a splendid pair of elk antlers. We saw many of these scattered over the sand. Grim reminders of the past forever gone. About three o'clock, we reached our destination. But something was wrong. Well, I'll be. There's no one here. Where are those cowpokes got to? Are you sure this is the right place? Well, this is where Matt said they'd be. Matt? Matt Watson. He's my herd boss. Maybe I got my days turned around. Well, what do we do now? Well, something I've been meaning to do all day. Oh, boys. Uh, hand me that hatchet, Eleanor. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, uh, here. Uh, will a stick like this should encourage your chub to get a mite brisker pace? <laughs> he needs all the encouragement he can get. We took the trail of the departed chuck wagon. Before long, we topped a low range of hills. There, in a cup-like valley, was a herd feeding contentedly on the lush green grass. Soon, we saw the glimmer of white canvas, the cover of the chuck wagon. We headed toward it, 
soul was in camp. The fire was out. Even the ashes had blown away. Hello! Herman! Where can he be? I'm so hungry. So am I. Let's see what's in the grub box. Oh, wouldn't that cramp you? He locked it. Wait till I see that cook. I knew I should have fired him. What now? Well, nothing to do but make the best of it. I know. Let's go down to the river. Try and rid ourselves of some of this dust. <laughs> this feels wonderful. I felt as dry as that desert. <laughs> nothing like a good soap to take your mind off the trouble. <sighs> Mrs. Kincaid, you don't suppose... Suppose what? You don't think those outlaws might have come this way, do you? You mean them two horse thieves Clyde was telling us about? Oh, they must be across the border by now and laughing their fool heads off about the daring deed they pulled. Aren't you ever frightened? I mean, a woman alone out here in the wilderness? Oh, I was a mite skittish at first, after Zeb died. Well, not anymore. This life's not for everyone. You know that by now. Temperament's got a lot to do with it. Anyone afraid of coyotes and work and loneliness... Had better leave ranching alone. You know, I, I do feel that ranch life suits me. I like to work and, uh, and to prove things out. But I know I still got a lot to learn. Well, that's why you're here. And where else could two refined women like ourselves bathe outdoors without fear of intrusion? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not in Denver. <laughs> oh, look, who's that? Oh, it's Herman. Quick, grab your clothes. <laughs> Herman! Herman! Approaching camp was the most grotesque figure on a gaunt, ugly old horse. The poor horse stumbled along bravely under his heavy load. A string of stagehands swung on one side, and across the saddle in front of Herman lay a young antelope. The fat Dutch cook was met with a volley of abuse from Mrs. Kincaid. And how is it we come to camp half-starved to death, and there's no cook, and there's no food? Is that what you're paid for? And how is it that you have not so much sense as you have tongue? What are you talking about? How have you lived so long in the West, and wouldn't know enough to hunt a beanhole when you reach your own camp, huh? Why, you old tub of lard, I forgot! <laughs> <laughs> Herman removed the stones from where the fire had been, exposing a pit. He lifted from it pots and ovens of the most delicious-looking meat, beans, and potatoes. He spread a tarpaulin on the ground for us to eat from, and soon we were showing an astonished cook just how much two women could eat. When the regular supper time arrived, the cowboys began to come in. Our presence didn't keep them from their bantering. What's for supper, Herman? I could eat a bear. <laughs> Didn't you see the menu? We're having roast duckling with wild rice. Oh, that a new name for beans in the saw belly? I don't care what it is, as long as there's plenty of it. My cooking is based on the likes of you. You're right, Herman. 
We just ain't used to no gourmet cooking. <laughs> you boys, stop wagging your tongues, or I give your supper to the horses. They will appreciate it. Hey, Daisy, don't you know any tune whistles that happened? Well, but, but, but this is my favorite. All day long you're whistling that darn tune. And now you're serenading our supper. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, boys. I, I thought y'all liked my whistling. Them critters like it, they keep some right peaceful. Them steers don't know good tune anymore than you do. Well, maybe not, but my horse does. Hey, Jack, for love, my whistling. Well, that don't tell you something. Hey, Daisy, where'd you learn to ride? Back there in Tennessee? Uh, that, that, that's right, it did. I, I learned on my daddy's walking horse. Uh, Bo was his name. Uh, that's short for Beauregard. Beauregard? What kind of a name is that for a horse? Well, you saw that right. Every time he gets on a bronc, his nose bleeds for hours. Look at you, look at there, it's bleeding now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, leave him alone. He can't help it if his nose bleeds. Oh, that's right, New York. You tender feet stick together. I ain't no tenderfoot. I can ride and shoot as good as any man in this outfit. Maybe better. You just may be eating them words if you don't put your boast in. Didn't you know? All them fine eastern folks gets a mite big for their britches. <laughs> just because I'm from New York don't mean I'm no fancy greenhorn. Well, I gotta agree with you there, New York. You sure ain't fancy. In fact, you plain game. What's <laughs> <laughs> matter? Hello, boss. Yeah, well, howdy, boys. Yeah. Evening, Miss Kincaid. What brings you well? Well, I brought my friend, Mrs. Stewart. She's come to get a taste of range life. Well, I do, ma'am. I, I hope you find camping out your liking. I do already, Mr. Watson. Well, good, good. Uh, Herman, I'll have some of that hot coffee. How things are burnt forth, boss. Well, uh, more exciting than usual. What's up? Seems there were some horses rustled over in the next county. Thieves got away with 30 head. How many of them were there? Uh, just two, but... One of them is Clem Murdoch. The bank robber? Ex-bank robber. Seems he's found a higher-paying profession. Sheriff's got half the state out looking for him. Which way they headed? Well, I don't know for sure, but if they got any sense, they're heading for the border. They could be somewheres around here. Could be, boys. Could be. I ain't afraid of no turned out law. My paw waited bloody go up to his neck, you know. And you would chip off the old block, right, New York? That's right. And I ain't ashamed of it, neither. I hope that posse chases them outlaws this way. I could use me some target practice. Oh. New York, anybody ever tell you you go to the same place for lying as you do for stealing? <laughs> hey, got you there, New York. And tell them, boss. <laughs> the air began to grow chill and the sky was becoming overcast. Everybody got busy with preparations for the night. Fresh ponies were saddled for the night relief. The hard-ridden, tired ones used that day were turned loose to graze. A tent was put up for me and Mrs. Kincaid to sleep under. I can't remember ever being so tired. Only I couldn't sleep. I lay awake wondering about the horse thieves. I would just have to wait to find out what the next day held in store. But, as I soon discovered, the night was not yet over. For Eleanor, life on the open range might hold more surprises than she anticipated. Unable to sleep, she lies in her tent and listens to the cowboys around the campfire. Uh, I 
wouldn't want to be them horse thieves when the posse catches up to them. You suppose they'll string them up? Nah. I reckon that sheriff will want to take them back to stand trial. Hmm. From what I've heard, that Murdoch fellow won't go peaceful. They'll have to take him by surprise. Mm-hmm. How are they going to surprise him with all those men chasing after him? I'll wager that posse will start shooting as soon as they spot him. You know, I, I remember a horse thief down Colorado, name of George. Ran off with 15 head from a Bermuda near Canyon City. The ranchers chased that son of a gun for 100 miles. And then one of them shot him dead. And the one that shot him was fined $1,500 for taking the law into his own hands. $1,500? Yeah. That's more than two years' wages. What kind of law is that? They should have paid him for killing that boy. Hmm. Any man who steals a horse ain't worth the bullet what kills him. You know, I don't know why that Murdoch fella gave up bank robbing. It takes style to rob a bank. That's enough flyering for one night. We got a long day ahead of us tomorrow. I was enjoying the cowboy's yarn. As Matt Watson put an end to their storytelling, a gentle rain began to fall. The cowboys hurriedly made their beds. They teased New York about making his between our tent and the fire. You're dead right, part making your bed there. If them outlaws come this way, they'll think you're one of the women. They won't shoot you. Just as men are in danger. Oh, confound your fool tongues. How are they going to know there's any women here? I'll tell you, fellas. My old man waited bloody go up to his neck. And you just like <laughs> I could hear Herman busy with his pots and pans. Then he mounted the tongue of a chuck wagon. For breakfast, we have cagalderies. First come is first served. And those that sleeps late gets nothing. Kincaid, I never heard of cackleberries. Where are they? Oh, you just wait till morning. You'll see. My imagination pictured cackleberries as some very luscious wild fruit. I could almost taste them as I dozed off to sleep. But I couldn't stay asleep. I wasn't afraid exactly, but I was certainly nervous. The rain fell gently, like tears. Down by the river, an owl hooted dismally. All nature seemed to be mourning something. Something that had happened, or was going to happen. About a half a mile away, the night herders were riding round and round the herd. One of them was singing. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie. Well, why, will howl. Oh, darn that taxi sure has a bed tonight. It makes me want to ball like a kid. I wish he'd shut up. Yeah, he's just homesick. We all are, I guess. But there ain't no use in staying awake and letting it soak in. Mm. Shake the water off the tarp. You're letting water catch on your side and it's running into my ear. That's the last I heard for a long time. I must have slept. Later that night, something woke me. Mrs. Kincaid, mm-hmm. did you hear that? Uh, what's the matter? I-, I thought I heard something. Oh, you're probably just not used to sleeping out of doors. But, but I-, I felt something tug at the guy rope. At least I thought I did. Must have been New York. He's a heavy sleeper, but he ain't a restful one. You go back to sleep. Morning comes pretty early out here. I lay there in a dozy, half-awake state. Until suddenly, I was startled by a loud voice. Oh! 
Who's out for this? This is Seven Up, Kincaid. Who wants to know? Oh, that's you, Matt. Sheriff Ward. Oh, well, right on in. Well, we better have to meet some Murdoch all night. Well, I heard you was out hunting them fellers. Any luck? Oh, we always had them way back. One of my boys got off a shot, maybe wounded one of them. But it got so darn dark we couldn't see. Well, we got to keep going. Their horses are about played out. How are yours holding up? Well, we changed in Hadley, but uh, we ain't had a bite deep. Oh, hey there, Herman. Get out of there and fix these fellers something deep. Well, obliged to man. Mind if we search the camp? Make yourself to home. Take a look. <laughs> Who's in the wicket? Uh, 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 sheriff, ladies. Ladies in there. Miss Kincaid and a friend. Oh. Oh, how do, ladies? Sorry to disturb you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all right, Sheriff. As you can see, there's just the two of us here. Mm-hmm. Says, could you lower your lantern? Ooh. The light's a mite hard on these old eyes. Oh, sure thing, ma'am. We'll oh. leave you be then. Evening, ladies. As Herman got a fire going, Matt and the sheriff went from bed to bed. They even searched the truck wagon. Hey! What do you think you do here? We gotta search everywhere. But I have been sleeping there the whole of the night. You have no You're right to... You're talking to the sheriff, Cookie. And you is talking to Herman Lauder, the best trial cook in all Wyoming. Oh, well. Oh, I do apologize, Herman. I guess we wasn't properly introduced. Say, how about getting my boy some girl? Mm, I will. But you leave my wagon be. Oh, fair enough. The sheriff finished his search and joined his men around the fire. As they gulped hot coffee and cold beef and bread, the rain ran off their slippers and little rivulets. Oh, this grub tastes pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad you, you and your men must be about played out yourselves, Sheriff. Oh, we're bone weary, man. We've been pushing those outlaws ahead. Which way was the headed? North. My guess is they intend to hit the railroad. They'll never make it. We'll make it to shore. Every fort on the river is guarded, except right along here. And there's five search parties ranging on the other side. Sounds like them outlaws don't stand a chance. Well, my party's split. A bunch has gone out to the bridge. If they find anything, they're to fire a volley. Same with us here. Well, there ain't many places they can cross the river. Cliffs are too steep. Yeah, I figure they couldn't cross nowhere. Well, at the bridge, or here. There's the signal. Ah, uh, your horse is bored. Good luck, Sheriff. The men were in their saddles in less time than it takes to tell it. The pounding of the horses' hooves grew fainter, and soon all was still. I kept my ears strained for the slightest sound. I kept expecting the posse to come back with dead or wounded, but there was not a sound. Herman and Matt, the only man up, went back to bed. The man had risen so quickly that he hadn't been careful about his tarp and water had run into his bed. Oh, darn it. Now that road is soaked. Yeah, ain't the first time. Oh, what a night. I ain't slept this poorly since the first night after Zeb died. What time is it? I don't know. I'll light a match. It's three o'clock. Has this sort of thing ever happened to you before? Not to my recollection. But you seem so, so calm. No. 
I'm an old woman, girl. Ain't much can surprise me no more. Do you think they caught those outlaws? I don't know. I reckon they will soon enough. I hope no one is killed. Yeah. You just stop your worrying. Whatever happens, there ain't nothing you and me can do about it. I'm going to try and catch up on some sleep. Why don't you do the same? I'll try. I am tired. The rain had stopped. Through a rift in the clouds, a star peeped out. I could smell the wet sage. A little breeze came by, bringing Tex's voice again, singing to the herd. Lord matters not, so I've been told How the body lies and the heart Norn Green again, and here's the fourth act of the horse thieves. Come on, get it! For breakfast, we have cackleberries and antelope steak. I was afraid no cackleberries would be left if I waited too long. I surprised the earliest risers by joining them around the fire. Hey, you are up early this morning, Mrs. Stewart. I couldn't sleep any longer, Herman. I'm so hungry. Good morning, Mr. Watson. Good morning, ma'am. How about some coffee, Herman? Here you are, boss. Good and hot. (laughs) I just ain't worth speaking to till I've had my coffee, man. Oh, I understand. Clyde, that's my husband. He's the same way. I never cared about it much myself, but somehow it does taste better out here. Mrs. Stewart, you want to eat while this is still hot? Oh, yes, please. I held out my tin plate while Herman filled it with an antelope steak, an egg, and two delicious biscuits. When I'd finished, I said, I'm ready for my cackleberries now, Herman. It isn't to her now, will you? How many cackleberries do you want? You already have what I cooked for you. Well, Herman, I haven't had a single berry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you ain't used to our lingo, man. You see, cackleberries and eggs are one and the same. Oh, oh I see. Well, uh, I guess there are times when anticipation is better than reality. <laughs> what say, man? Uh, no, nothing, Mr. Watson. Uh, tell me, have you um, any news of the posse? Well, uh, ain't heard nothing since they lit out of here last night. Hey, Herman, see if you can persuade that loafer New York to get off his backside, will you? It's pleasure, boss. New York, turn out of there or I scold you good. All right, all right. Stop kicking me, will you? What the deuce was you fellas kicking up such a ruckus for last night? You blockhead, don't you know? No, what? The sheriff was here. Searched this whole camp last night. Well, I there was a battle down at the bridge afterwards. Either they all got killed or else nobody's hurt. They would have been here otherwise. There was a shootout with the horse thieves? Sheriff took a shot at him yesterday, but I guess he missed. They got away anyhow. Well, I'll be damned. And you just laid there and snored, you darn fool. I sure wish I'd have known what was going on. I'd have joined up with that there posse. And said goodbye to the 7-Up for good. Oh, oh, go on. Get your breakfast before there ain't none left. 
Sure wish I'd have known. Hey, wait a minute. What happened to your shirt? Well, what's the matter with it? Well, look like it's... A... It's all soaked with blood. Oh, that darn daisy must have crawled in with me, that's all. Blame his bleeding snoot. I'll punch it and give him something to bleed for. Daisy ain't been in all night. Huh? Daisy took Jesse's place when he went to town after supper. Well, then who did crawl in with me? And why was he bleeding? I ain't sure. But I aim to find out. Boys, search this camp! Hey, boys, over here. What'd you find, Hank? Yeah, this rope here's been cut, boys. My horse. Somebody stole Happy Jack. Hey, boss. Boss, I found a horse down by the river. He was hid in the willows. Is you mine? No, I never seen him before. He ain't tied or nothing. Never even moved. Looks like that thief made a trade. His own tired nag for the best cow pony in the outfit. Boss, you don't think... Yes, New York, you had company last night, all right, but it wasn't Daisy. Then it must have been... One of them outlaws crawled right in with you and you never even knowed it. You mean he was right, right there next to me? Look that way. Must have been there the whole time the sheriff was here. Well, I'll be... Dad explained the strange noise I'd heard the night before. The outlaw had pulled off a daring ruse. The discovery had the whole camp stirred up, except for Herman and Mrs. Kincaid, who seemed to take it all in stride. By sunup, the search party returned. After 24 hours in the saddle, they were too worn out to continue the hunt. While the men flung themselves down for a few hours' rest, Matt told the sheriff what had happened. Well, looks like the chase was hopeless anyway. That outlaw no doubt heard me say we was heading north. And now he's probably way down south. Utah, most likely. Plenty of forests and mountains hiding down there. Sheriff, there's something about this that just don't smell right to me. What do you mean? I've been thinking about that shooting last night. More about Well, who do you think started it? Oh, it was one of the boys I sent out ahead. And what'd you find when you got to the bridge? Nothing. I already took off after them outlaws. What do you got to have, Matt? I got a feeling one of your boys was in cahoots with them oh, outlaws. Oh, are you going local? You got a traitor in your posse, Sheriff. He done that shooting to draw you away from camp so that thieving varmint could have stayed. Now, Matt, you're just fired up about losing You're your darn horse. right I'm fired up. I think Murdoch's the one behind this. He's the one's got my horse. You'll get your horse back. I'm going after Murdoch myself. Don't be a darn fool. I ain't the one looking foolish right now. Get out of my way, Sheriff. Mrs. Kincaid, you sure got yourself one hot-headed trail boss there. Well, that horse means a lot to Matt, Sheriff. He raised Happy Jack from a colt, broke him himself. He has to at least try to find him. Oh, for his sake, ma'am, I hope he don't. Uh, Miss Kincaid, ma'am? Hmm? What is it, New York? Uh, I got something to tell you. All right, let's hear it, then. Uh, I want to quit. You want to quit? Well, looks like you've done it. Uh, it's not what you think. I, I, I'm sick. Oh, I know you are. I've seen men get sick before. 
when they're scared to death. My old daddy. Oh, yeah, I know. He waded the creek one time. And you've had cold feet ever since. Poor New York. I felt sorry for him. I had cold feet myself by that time. I was anxious to warm them by my own fire, where a pair of calm blue eyes would reassure me. did get to see the roping and the branding. It couldn't have been too exciting anyway after all that had happened. The sheriff accompanied me on the way home. When we drove up to the house that evening, I heard a most welcome sound. Clyde, I'm home. Hello, lass. Oh, you are a welcome sight. I missed you. And I missed you. Oh, Clyde, you can't imagine. Did you know like the roundup? Oh, it wasn't the kind I expected, that's for sure. What happened? Well, it all started last night with a shooting at the bridge. The sheriff and his posse... The sheriff? Yes, he was after the horse thieves. You don't mean those horse thieves were up there? I'll say they were. At least one of them was. He hid himself right there in our camp. Then there was a shooting, and it was supposed to be a signal for the, the sheriff. The shooting? Uh, just gunshots in the night. And Matt, that's Mrs. Kincaid's trail boss, he said it must have been a traitor in the posse who started it. Started what? The volley of shots we all heard. And I guess Matt was right because the sheriff, he rode back here with me. He found out today that one of his men is missing. Fit to be tight I mean, about uh, who slow doon, uh, slow doon. I can't understand what happened. <sighs> I'm not sure I understand myself. Seems to me that life on that range out there is all beginnings and middles, with never any kind of endings at all. Mm. You must be tired. You can tell me all about it later. Oh, it's um, good to have you home again. And it's good to have your arms around me again. I've seen enough of the wildlife on the range, well, for a while anyway. Clyde, would you do something for me? You know I would. Would you play me a tune on your pipes? Oh, I will with pleasure, my bonnie lass. Uh, what is it you'd like to hear? Why, Clyde Stewart, don't you know? I'd like to hear your special favorite, of course. The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The Horse Thieves, was written by Ann Heath and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Lauren Green. Our stars were Joan McCall and Alan Young. Featured in the cast were Peggy Weber, Harley Bear, Joe Maroth, Sam Edwards, and Ed McNamara. The music for Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliot Lewis production of Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. This is Andy Griffith. Join us tomorrow at the same time. I've got another story I think you'll find riotously amusing.
This is Leonard Nimoy. Our story concerns itself with one man's battle with the greatest monster any of us will ever face in any arena, his conscience. Armando Paz, better known to the aficion of all the countries of the world as El Encanto, was and is Batman. Before becoming El Encanto, the Enchanted One, he was usually called Armando, or a variety of other names usually reserved to describe a poverty-stricken stealer of oranges in southern Spain, or someone who loved the art of bullfighting so passionately that he would sneak into forbidden pastures and practice surviving the bull's deadly horns on moonless nights. Before Armando was El Encanto, he was nobody, and he never forgot it. Eje, eje, Torito Bravo, such great, beautifully formed horns, so well armed by nature that you have only the monsters in this arena to fear. Eje, they force me to kill you. A profound symbol of freedom and strength. In order for them to experience the idea of death, you are real. They are shadows, screams, moans, creatures seeking second-hand reality. The sword sinks into the muscle of your great neck like butter, and your right horn graces my groin as you made the last charge of your life. We are joined now in a warm blur, suspended in time for a second. And I feel the sensation of your horn slashing a pattern into my guts. I live. Your horns die. The screams of the monster that forces us to live on each other's blood is the same. Always the same. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, Amando Paz, El Encanto, by Odie Hawkins. Our stars, Larry Moss, Tommy Cook, and Jack Crucian. Life is not always easy. No one can dispute that. But how many of us face death each time we go to work? Armando Paz, El Encanto, carved this noble name onto the hearts of the bullfight public today. Fighting three magnificent cathedrals from the ranch of Don Julio Belmonte, he offered an incredible display of cape work. Those critics who have accused El Encanto of being stingy with his cape work in the past would not have been able to make that complaint today. He expressed himself superbly in the opening movement by executing those statuesque passes that have justly earned him the nickname El Encanto. His movement from beginning to end was illogical in their woven pattern that could only be called extravagant, but refined and above all, Turn terribly elegant. Off. He is... Armando, what is wrong? Don't you enjoy hearing about yourself anymore? I never did. Uh, but that isn't something I've been able to make you understand. Oh, a 
According to you, I have never been able to understand a tremendous number of things. Oh, please, Mira, let's not argue. Come, come on, sit down over here beside me. I, I'm tired of fighting. Why are you so irritable these days? I wasn't aware that I was behaving any differently but than... But you are. You used to be so, so relaxed, so at ease with life. I remember thinking when I first met you, is it possible that this man kills bulls for a living? How long has it been, Mira? Three years? Three years is a long time to be an encanto. But it is a choice you made in life. Why do you take it out on me? I'm not taking anything out on you. But you are. You bring these depressing moods into our relationship. It, it unnerves me. It makes me feel that... That I am not doing something right. That, that I'm failing you in some way. Who could know that better than you? Why do you make this sly remark, Fernando? Have I not created a beautiful lifestyle for us? Have I not made your life pleasant? Do you think that surrounding yourself, surrounding us with, with, with all, of these, all of these things, that, that, that some type of happiness will automatically occur? <laughs> Sometimes I think I was happier when I had to steal oranges for a meal. Armando, what do you want? I don't understand. The more you have, the less satisfied you become. What the hell do you want? I want you, Mira. Amongst other things. But you have me, Armando. That's not what I mean. Ah, so we are back to this again. Is that the way you think about it? Armando, I have told you a thousand times, I am yours. But I must reserve the privilege to be my own person. Why must you feel that the people around you should belong to you, body and soul? That sounds like an odd question for someone to ask who surrendered her so-called freedom for a half million pesetas. <laughs> Are you a great one to talk? Think of how much of yourself you surrendered this afternoon. For money. Think about how it feels like. E even the possibility of being gored in the thigh, in the stomach, the armpit, maybe the eye. For arm. money. No, not for money, Mira. I go to the bulls because I am cold. I am forced. I don't understand when you say things like this. You are called to fight the bulls? I don't know if it would be possible to explain what that means to, to, to someone who, who only thinks in terms of supply and demand. Armando, for once, just for once, rather than trying to talk over my head, why don't you try to explain? Perhaps I can understand. You really want me to try to explain, huh? See, si, I'm very curious. All right, I'll try. But first, we must place ourselves outside of this petty conversation. I never engage myself in petty conversations. You asked me to explain something to you. If you want that explanation, you must be patient and listen to it. Aye. See. Go on. Good. I must explain to you what I know. What I feel in my own words. Because I haven't read the words of the people who write about my art. As a man, I am nothing. Nada. I am like other men, but, but as a creature who confronts death in the shape of a bull many times each season, I am an encanto. 
didn't quite understand. I told you you wouldn't understand. But I did not say for you to stop. Should I go on then? See, of course, go on. I, I am a sacrifice, you see, to, to a spirit in our world that is that is older than religion. It is older than my uncle Juan. <laughs> is there such a thing? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not mean. I understand, Bira. I, I I understand. Pour us some more wine. Yes, our best Jerez. Now, please, go on. I say that I am a sacrifice to a spirit older than religion. Now, this is true. The spirit is fear. And I am used by the aficion, by the public, to, to overcome something that they do not want to confront. Death. I am the, the, the woman who... You are the what? I, I, I know it sounds incredible, but, but, but in a way, symbolically, I am the, the woman in the pretty clothes flirting with a supreme symbol of manhood, using the capote and muleta as fans. And yet, every man in the arena identifies himself with me. <laughs> I wish Jose Flores could hear you now. Jose knows this already. It is what makes his aficion so great. I, I can understand all of this. I can understand all of what you say, except for the part where you say you are forced to fight the bulls. But it is true. It is my calling. If I did not do it, someone else would have to do it, and they probably would not do it half as well. Oh, you think of yourself as a, some kind of a priest, eh? I spoke of myself as a sacrifice, not a priest. <laughs> Armando, you are an incredible man. Incredible. But you would not recognize reality if it gored you between the eyes. I guess it is my turn not to understand you. What are you talking about? I ask you a simple question that only concerns money, and you give me a lot of mystical nonsense about fear, about death. Why can't you make yourself understand that you are giving the public a thrill that they could get in no other way? I hope that isn't true. But it is true. That is why the Mexicanos are willing to pay you so much to see a fight between you and Ramon Garcia. Have you made up your mind? The money will be fantastic. Mira, you are hopeless. No matter what we talk about, we, we always come back to the same thing, money. Well, what else offers so many options? Going back and forth in time, we are quite often able to take mental pictures, emotional glances at our heroes especially those of yesterday, as these men are doing, and as they remember and wonder. Tell me, Senor Cody, what do you think of the festival this year? Oh, I've seen better. <laughs> oh, I like that in you. One who has always seen better. <laughs> it gives you a great opportunity to avoid dealing with depression, and very often with the recent past. <laughs> It offers you a great deal of safety, doesn't it? Would you say that running in front of the bulls yesterday morning was the way to safety? 
The annual test of bravery. Please, do not misunderstand, Senor Cody. Please, Ernest. Ah, thank you, Ernest. Understand me. I do not doubt your courage, only your judgment. Especially when we concern ourselves with the quality of this year's festival as compared to those of past years. <laughs> Obviously, the same could be said about Matadores. Clearly. Oh, uh, waiter, uh, more shrimp and beer for my amigo from America. I know what you're getting at, Senor Flores. Oh, please, you may call me Jose. Jose, I know what you're getting at. Since we occupied this table three days ago, you've been trying to get me to say that Armando Paz was, and is, if he were still fighting, the best that ever used the flannel. Mm, perhaps. <laughs> Salud. Salud. Are you saying that I should forget about the great bullfighters in history, uh, Manuel Rodriguez, Manolete, Joselito, Cagancho, Procuna, on a good day, Arusa? Well, not completely, but I have to say this honestly. Uh, on a good day, El Encanto would have given them all the bath. Oh, he was unique. Absolutely alone on the face of the planet in his perfection. <laughs> With a plate of such excellent shrimp in front of the senor, uh, Jose. Thank you. I would find it very difficult to disagree too strongly with you. Uh, but aren't we forgetting someone? Oh, who is that? Ramon Garcia, Soberano. Oh, him. Well, it was generally conceded by most knowledgeable bullfight fans that the matchup they fought in Mexico was a classic example of a, a lesser-known talent giving the master a taste of the medicine he used to offer. Well, that's not true. I should know. I was there. Allow me to take the liberty of giving you the truth. Uh, that is, if you were not there yourself. Well, I wasn't there. I, I was covering a war at the time. Oh, that was unfortunate, because you are not present at an event that will always be a part of bullfighting history. <laughs> I will tell you what happened. Uh, before you begin, uh, waiter, two more of the same, please. As I am sure you recall, there had been a great deal of agitation from the Garcia people for a face-to-face -face match, a, a mano a mano. There were many who felt that El Encanto was, um, how do you say in English, uh, coasting. Oh, yes, coasting, uh, taking it easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could never agree with that point of view. If you went to the Corrida and saw Armando Paz, you were present at an event that carried extraordinary emotion. True? He lacked authentic competition, except for that fancy Dan Garcia, but he never coasted. The bulls would not permit it. Why was the fight held in Mexico? Oh, for the usual reason, my friend. Money. Uh -huh. The Mexican impresario Vargas made a fantastic offer, as I understand it. At any rate, at four o'clock in the afternoon, on a warm day in the Plaza Mexico. Matador Armando, be careful with this one. He hooks like a boxer with his left horn and looks smart enough to know Latin. Run him again, Juan. Show me how he moves. But we have already. I said again. Are you the Matador or am I? You are, Armando. You are. There were also a number of disloyal pipes who felt that Armando was not only coasting, but that he had lost his nerve, the urge to fight the bulls. 
say that the bullfight has three basic parts, and some say thousands of pieces. But all agree that death is always a prime ingredient for both the bull and the man. Juan Pelé, Armando's peon de confianza, the oldest, the most experienced member of his quadrilla, saved him from a serious goring with one bold slap on the bull's nose. Oh, I have never seen a man move toward danger with such courage. Armando? Calmly picked himself up and rewarded Juan with a series of chicolines antiguas that stole the breath from us. It was like watching a butterfly avoid the rush of a two-ton truck. It was as though the bull churro, sensing that my mind was far away from the arena, far from the monstrous appetite of the crowd, dumped me onto the sun and threatened my life to, to remind me of what I was. And what our purpose for being there was, 
I thanked Juan and Churro with one of the most grateful faces I could think of, the Chicoalina Antigua. The complaint has always been made. See, see, that he was not one to do a three-ring circus full of passes. Yes, not many beyond the Oh, basis. yes, yes, I have heard that. And he was true on this occasion also. But we must make the distinction between the matador who only knows a few passes and the master who weaves a spell with a few threads. My blood turned to fire when they began to scream for Armando to place his own banderillas. They knew it was something he never did. But on this occasion, he snatched the sticks from my hand, anger showing in his eyes at being asked to do so. The elegance with which he broke his sticks in half on the barrera, he fence around the ring, strolled to the center of the arena as though heaven belonged to him and earth was too dirty for him to place his feet on, is something I shall never forget. You know how critical the Mexicanos can be when they judge the placement of the sticks. I mean, after all, they have Amalito Chico, Carnizarito de Mexico, Procuna Narusa, among others to look back to. And this Sunday, Armando Paz, El Enganto, was added to that list. I cannot say more. Old men sitting in the places where bullfighting is discussed, <laughs> such as this place, <laughs> in such places as this, throughout the world, will always speak of those three pairs of banderillas. In Mexico, they are called el encanto sticks, los palos del encanto. He placed one pair standing on the street that circles the barrera. He placed another pair blind. That is to say, he cited the bull for a charge, stood like a statue, and at the last second, fake to his left and dip the shortened sticks into the bull's neck while looking up at me. At you? Well, it seemed that way. It is an emotion that I later discussed with others. They say that they also felt that he was looking at them. Now, I am embarrassed to admit that my eyes were closed and I did not witness the last pair. He sighted the bull, turned his back, and... I am told by those who had the strength to watch, faked the bull to the right side of his body, and as the bull swept under his right armpit, placed the sticks. Oh, that's impossible. Why, oh, no! As I said, I could not watch. I was so certain that the horn would be slammed into his back. I have to smile even now when I think back to the dedication speech I made in Mira for Churro. Uh, those who are close enough to hear my words to her uh, at the Barrera, they could not believe their ears. I could tell from the shock that their faces registered. I said to her, To you, Mira Duran, I would like to dedicate this noble animal. I would like to dedicate it to you as a true representative of the beast that forces me to fight, to kill, to bleed, and maybe someday to die. I remember the words of the dedication because I had rehearsed them for two days. Mira thanked me for my words with her, with her usual cynical smile. His domination of the bull was masterful. I have seen them all, the best. But this was like seeing it for the first time. At one point, 
as he dropped the bull's head with the left-handed natural and led the animal's face into the folds of the flannel, I had the illusion of seeing a man open a garden gate in slow motion. And during the course of his movement, as he slowly left the bull poised in one spot with a dazzling remate, he turned to us with a grave expression as though to say, I am doing this for you. I, an Encanto, the only one in the world able to do this. I hated him. And I loved him. I am told that a new record for fainting was set in the Plaza Mexico during the course of his fain. I found him a strange creature to watch. It all appeared to be a dream, the manner in which he led the bull past his body in a series of dream-like patterns as he casually studied the reactions of his audience. For long, slow moments, as he worked closer and closer to the horns, I felt myself being drawn into a brotherhood, one that only a few men on earth were privileged to join. Who would not believe it? The stupid women who fainted in the plaza. And it was not much better in the men's side. See, of course he was great. But couldn't they see he was simply playing on their emotions? You know, there was this odd thing that we all understood about Armando, that he hated to make the kill, which, after all, is the final function of, of the... Matador. Killer and Paul. Yeah, exactly. We understood this about him. But in some strange way, this reluctance to kill made him a better killer. Whoa, now wait a minute. You've got to ease that one past me again. I missed something. You see, his reluctance to kill made him want to do it and have done with it quickly. He was not one to hesitate when the moment arrived. The moment of truth. That becomes an hour for some. But never for Armando. Oh, he was a surgeon with the blade. The moment of truth was only for a moment. Some invisible force pressed upon my shoulders as Churro staggered to his knees. I found myself kneeling in front of his horns, crying. As his blood spilled onto the sand, I, I felt some mysterious power was draining me. Somehow I... I could see myself through the bull's dying eyes. Armando the Rascal, they called me at one point. The thief of the orange groves. The crazy one who stalked full-grown bulls in the pastures at midnight with a, with a torn shirt. I had, I had never questioned what my role in life should be. What, what I might become other than a bullfighter. And with Churro... I found myself asking that question. The people around me were out of their minds. Churro was an unbelievable experience. I witnessed it, but I didn't believe my eyes. I also witnessed Armando's third-rate performance with the two bulls that followed. During the course of his first fight, he had been a god. A god, do you understand? And then, nothing, nada... With the two bulls they followed, he made Steve have hearted cape work. His rhythm was jerky. I cannot describe the filth that was screamed at him. The public felt that he was cheating them. During the course of his first fight, I had been put in the shade. 
Now I walk in the sun. I showed them which one was number one. It was unbelievable, truly. After having done so much with his first bull, one would think he was going to tear up the taurine world with the next two. It was not so. To put it bluntly, Armando blew it in Mexico. He showed all of the signs that the afición needed to know that he was washed up. I don't know what happened to him. What does it matter? I will always be accused of causing him to make a poor showing, no matter what. So, es la vida, no? Leonard Nimoy again, and here's the fourth act of El Encanto, the story of Armando Paz, Matador. I could never explain it, what had happened to him. He became a man at war with himself. He dragged me around with him nightly, into and out of the lowest dyes of the city. He drank too much. More, more wine, more wine for us, for my friend Juan, for, for me, El Encanto. Armando Come, let us go home. We've had enough. Yeah, you're right, Juanito. <laughs> what sense does it make? We'll only be sorry later for it. It was even rumored that he betrayed me with that dancer, Teresa Albatin. Oh, if I had found it to be true, I would have clawed her eyes out and his. Many of us in the profession thought that he had got the coleta, as we say, you know, that he had retired. Yes, it is true. I have to admit it. I, Jose Bienvida Flores, aficionado numero uno, fell into the trap of believing that Armando was, uh, how shall I say it, uh, washed up, if one had to be blunt about it, yes. I believed with many others that he was washed up a memory. And then... One morning, an announcement mysteriously appeared on the posts and walls of the city. The announcement was that he would fight bulls from six of the greatest ranches in España. A Mirura from Cabrera, a Paro Romero, a Domecq, one from De Los Gallardo, Vista Hermosa, and a Vista Villar. <laughs> Soccer suddenly seemed much less important than usual. I have to admit that I went to see him, prepared to see someone who had once been great make a fool of himself. It was a real puzzle in my mind as to why he needed six super bulls to show the world how bad he had become. They were all mistaken. I had no need to prove anything. After my fight with Churro, the there could not have been anything else. He was the bull of my life. He was also, in some rare way, the, the germ of a feeling that I'd always concealed from myself. His death was my awakening, in a manner of speaking. Armando acted well, let us say, different towards me after Mexico. I cannot explain exactly what I felt in words. I could reach him no longer. Do you understand what I am saying? We had always had differences of opinion, even from the beginning. But this was different. He was different. 
she would stay out half the night and go to the church next morning, every morning. It was like living with a person in, in two different worlds. He thought perhaps it was the Gemini in him, you know, the divided personality coming out. I made a decision. The decision was to give the bulls one last chance. There were those who didn't understand. Mira didn't understand. Uh, but she never understood me very well anyway. Others called my decision arrogance or madness. I didn't feel it necessary to explain anything to them. I made my selection from the best branches because I was the best. And I wanted to fight the best one last time. There was a slight breeze moving through the city on the day of the fight, but in the arena it was like a hurricane. The worst that could happen on the day of a fight, the wind. Armando joked about it. A little fresh air to blow the cigar smoke and cheap perfume out of the arena, eh, Juan? As a member of the profession, I tried to put myself in his position. I couldn't. I didn't want to see him gored or killed, but I was impatient for the fight to begin, for the public to see that Armando was a husband. Oh, the bulls. They were beautiful monsters. There is no other word I could use to properly describe them. Each one was fully grown, well-muscled and armed with horns that seemed to have room for cradles in between the tips. And he fought them with the cold, elegant charm that had made him famous. You know, there was an element of something magical in what he did that afternoon. With the wind and the danger of his cape or his muleta misbehaving, there were times when it seemed that the only possible development from what he was doing had to result in tragedy. But it did not. He ignored the wind and the cynicism of the crowd, and he offered himself to the bulls. Pedricinas on his knees, Molinetes, Manoletinas, Afarallados with the left and the right hand, movements with his signature on them. <laughs> he dedicated the bull to five other persons beside myself. Oh, I treasure the experience of having witnessed his triumph. It was almost religious. He fought six of the most dangerous bulls in Hispania. In the world. And he gave the money to charity. Can you imagine risking your life for nothing? It was done. I had offered the best of them a chance and survived. I could go onward to what I knew would be a more satisfying life. A life that would grant my soul peace. Each of us has to face life somehow. Some of us only do it in the mirror, at the surface. Armando Paz went much deeper. They scream for blood! For my blood! Blood! No, no, no. Stop! 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 Yes, yes. I, I'm all right, Father. What was it? 
The bulls again, Father Pass? No. No, no, not, not the bulls, Father. The crowd. It's never the bulls that cause me to have nightmares. It's always the crowd, the memory of the crowd. And what a monster it was. From time to time, I have this, this horrible dream of, of, of them, them charging me all together. The, the, the crowd charging me, howling, screaming at me. I, think I understand <laughs> what you mean, Father Paz. I must admit, I have been an aficionado all my life. And I recognize the beast you speak of. Yes. Shall, uh, shall we go to chapel to pray? Yes. I think that is a very good idea. I would like to give thanks for for having escaped from the horns of the bulls and the public. Uh, uh, Father Paz, I have wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think of this rivalry between Ramon Garcia, Sobrano, and Diego Ordonez? Uh, well, I, uh, I I would like to say, you know, to begin with, that uh, ne- neither of them is as good. <laughs> well, Lord, forgive me you know, for my modesty. As good as I was, uh, Ramon, you know, with his great ego, shows. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Armando Paz, El Encanto, was written by Odie Hawkins and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Leonard Demoy. Our stars were Larry Moss, Tommy Cook, and Jack Crucian. Featured in the cast were Stan Waxman, Lillian Baev, and Don Diamond. The music for Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. Associate Director of Mutual Radio Theater is Ken McManus. Sound effects were created by Bud Tollefson. Mark Trella is production supervisor. Recording engineer, Hal McDonald. Music editor, Lee Ringette. The Elliot Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVR. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value. A name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. This is Lorne Green. Listen in on Monday for another story about the West, as it was then, as it is now. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, 
or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.